Each week, we get the inside scoop from industry leaders in marketing, social media, and influencers. Follow along on their journey. This is the Follow Me Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back. <laughs> did you love that intro? I um, did. We're excited you're back and ready for this week's guest. Mm-hmm. But first, Cole, we need to know who are you following this week? I'm dying to know. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Go. One more time with energy. All right. Uh, this week I am following Corey Tenold. He is Allie's rolling her eyes because she <laughs> she hates when I get snotty creatively. But Corey Tenold's an awesome photographer for Vogue. He is at New York Fashion Week this week and shooting all the backstage stuff, and it's amazing. His photos are actually really really cool. Make okay. you want to be there. Make you want to be shooting yeah. it. I actually pissed him off backstage last year. Oh no! What'd you do? <laughs> I got, I was a rookie and I got in the way of one of his photos and he just was not happy, which I understand. I, he was with Vogue. So he, but your bun got in the way or what? (laughs) Your head? (laughs) Just the whole thing. Yeah. Like I got a big head, you know? (laughs) Same. Um, All right. Well, that's a good one. Um, You know, I'm following recipes for Mm self-love. As you know, I love a good inspiration, a good Pinterest quote, and I feel like this account does a little bit of all of that and makes you feel good. Oh, and you're talking yourself. like a <laughs> robot. <laughs> I know. It's my podcast voice. She has a podcast voice. It's like when you're a kid and you have like your adult voice. Remember this? No. When you used to babysit in high school, I feel like this is like something everyone had a babysitter voice. So when the mom would call or when the mom would come home, you'd be like, hi. Oh yeah. That's your robot voice. Okay. Well, I think it's nice. Um, and I hope you all follow our follows of the week and enjoy them. I mean, I need to look at it because I need some more self-love after Cole just bashed me. Um, but we're excited for today's guest. Let's do it. Today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of the Insta-famous influencer platform Foray, Tiana Haraguchi. Welcome, Tiana. Hi. Hi. <laughs> we so love glad you. you're here. Thanks Tiana's for also me. a friend of ours. Yeah. And we've gone on many trips with you mm-hmm. and traveled the world with you, mm-hmm. which yeah. we can talk about later. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can. So you started in finance and then moved your way into the fashion world. Tell us about your first company, Boutique. So I founded Boutique in 2013 in Boston, and the reason why I started it is because I was a really avid boutique shopper, so I wanted to find a way to help bring boutique shopping online just because I was working in finance prior to that, working 10-hour workdays, and it was really hard to get to the boutiques before they closed. So I created a mobile app to help bring that experience online and also a loyalty program where boutique owners could see who their most loyal customers were. They could launch sales and discount codes and do special invites for events. And it was really successful. Um, We got 150 boutiques on board in the first year. And then what was really interesting is it was right in the beginning of when fashion influencers were just launching. So Mm -hmm. we were using influencers in Boston to promote in-store events and the app. Are there influencers in Boston? No, not really. Um, there's like there's like four okay. that we found cool. four of them. I don't know much about Boston. Yeah. It sounds cool. I it, just don't know. It's an amazing it. city. It's very, very um, limited for fashion. Okay. And 
What was interesting about the influencer scene there is everyone had a full-time job too. Okay. So it was more like a hobby and a passion for them. But mm-hmm. like, as we know now with micro-influencers, it's the same type of thing. They had small followings, but highly engaged audiences. Yeah. Interesting. So we saw a lot of success in terms of when they would promote our in-store events in the app, there'd be a lot of download rates. There would be a mm-hmm. lot of, um, you know, attendees that would show up and say that they you know, they heard about the event through this influencer. So it got to a point where we had to make a decision if we wanted to grow a team and fundraise and build a company or if I wanted to go in a different direction. And I kind of just fell in love with the influencer space. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see as much scale potential with um, Boutique just because with Boutique owners, their margins are really small just because they obviously aren't designing their own product. They're buying it wholesale. Mm -hmm. They have small margins to work with to begin with. And they're also small teams and small minded Mm -hmm. and not in a bad way. They just, they're, you know, three people running a boutique and um, they don't really have the bandwidth to understand like new technology. And they're kind of used to running things in their own way. So with boutique, was this before a small boutique mom and pop shop would actually have their own e-commerce store? Yeah. So I would say, I think based on the market research we were doing at that time, there were almost, I think the numbers were like 80% of them had an e-com store, but a lot of them like didn't update it every week. They might update it every couple months. They like maybe would get a couple sales a month. It was almost there more for a marketing effort. Hmm. They weren't actually growing direct to consumer businesses. And this was like, in the process of when retail was dying, wholesale was obviously still a big opportunity with retail, but direct to consumer, like the appeal of it mm-hmm. was just starting to gain traction because of media, because of influencers. They were somewhat getting familiar with their own e-com sites and technology, but they weren't understanding how to capitalize it, utilize it, especially like understanding like where to put their dollars and where it would make sense that way. So did you just decide to shut it down? You were done. How do you even do do that with all these? I'm sure these boutique owners were like, no, this is driving business to us. You can't do that. (laughs) Well, initially it was supposed to be a rollover. So initially boutique for I was supposed to be boutique Like what I told Caitlin is I'm going to just roll over what I've done and the technology and I'm going to just work with brands instead of boutiques and mm. use influencers to promote it. And then I told all the brands, I was like, I'm bringing Caitlin Carter on as an influencer. Mm-hmm. And that was like really exciting yeah, for them in Boston. Totally. Like there's no big influencers there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, I'm bringing her on as a co-founder. This app's going to be great for you. We're gonna not going to kick the boutiques off, but we're also going to integrate brands. And then as we started concepting the idea more, we realized that there was more of an opportunity in shoppable influencer content and to integrate both boutiques and brands. It just didn't make sense from a margin standpoint. Okay. So we slowly had a rollout and let brands know we were shutting it down. We actually ended up dissolving the whole entity. Mm. And the reason we did that is I had had, I self-funded, like I did a quick stint before boutique. I helped my dad grow internet arcades in Hawaii from what's an internet arcade. (laughs) It's like a, It's like a Dave and Buster's, but we paid out cash instead of uh, coins. Like we found... Like a casino. Yeah. It's like mini mom and pop Dave and Buster's ability to pay out cash. And the reason why that was legal is because they were games of skills. We would bring in... I'm half Japanese, so we have relationships in Japan and we would bring Uh in... My dad would bring his relationships in and bring in skill touch coin pushers from Japan. So I'm like, I know, I don't even think you guys knew this part, but I moved, um, I moved to Hawaii for six months prior because prior to boutique, Boutique, right after I left the the hedge fund company I was working for. And my dad was like, you should learn how to like manage people and figure out some marketing aspects. And he's not an operator. Yeah. He's more like a big strategic person and he finds people. Uh So we ran that business from 
one arcade to 12 arcades in a year and a half. All in Hawaii? Yeah, grew it to be a $12 million business. And wow. as part of that deal, we self-funded Boutique. So I kind of like worked for Sweat Equity and his company, and he self-funded Boutique for me. Are the internet arcades still going on in Hawaii? No. Okay. We have two. <laughs> we have two that are still going, but yeah. we kind of... It, there was just so much controversy around them, and yeah. um, there was other opportunity and other gaming things that my dad's doing now. So they were around for three years, two years after I left. But yeah, it was fun. Malt lasted. So really crazy. interesting business. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So then that funded boutique yeah. yeah. But then when it came to 4A, were you like, okay, I'm ready to raise? Yeah. For people who don't know, how do you explain 4A? Yeah, Let's give us your there. elevator pitch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the best way that we see or the best way that we explain 4A now is that um, we're a next generation shopping platform for the modern woman. Mm -hmm. And essentially it's a marketplace that's powered by individual influencer storefronts. Our new slogan that we came up with is see it, love it, buy it. And it's because we take this whole distributed commerce approach where any content that you see from influencers you follow, essentially the goal is to be able to go to their storefront and buy it and actually have a shopping experience where you can filter through dresses, tops, um, collections, edits, whatever that might be, opposed to just, you know, going on Instagram, seeing one image and having to click around to multiple different sites. So who like is a competitor? Like is like Instagram or is that more like a partner or like who are your competitors in this space? So, I mean, like if you ask our investors, they'll say that we're an inventoryless revolve. That's what okay. we're going towards and okay. that type of market share. Yeah. Um, but other marketplaces that do well, that have a similar strategy are List. Um, I mean, you could consider Farfetch in some ways. Um, okay. Spring okay. is another marketplace app. But I'd say like those are the types of competitors, the type of market share we go after are the girls who are shopping at Nordstrom Revolve Shop Up. And who digest like influencer content or follower, follow yeah. influencers. Really the modern woman, the way, reason why we say that is the way consumers are consuming content every day, it's this inspirational aspect and it does motivate them to want to buy impulse purchases, but mm -hmm. there's no great way for them to have an experience where they can go there and be inspired in a time of, of need when they need something specific or direct. Like mm -hmm. I have a wedding. I need to go find a wedding dress. You're not mm -hmm. going to scroll through Instagram to all your favorite influencers and try and find a wedding dress that they're wearing. Mm -hmm. So with 4A, you can go on and like shop, shop the wedding resort collection, mm -hmm. or you can shop. If you do remember a specific influencer who is wearing a dress, you can go to her storefront or you could just filter by dresses. So mm -hmm. we're trying to use data to aggregate all of this content and make it shoppable mm -hmm. in a way that makes it quick and easy for consumers. Wow. And like, how did you really build smart. this? Obviously, you need capital to build tech if people yeah. don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. developers are very, very expensive. Yep, extremely. Yeah. So <laughs> walk us through that. Like, how do you raise money? What is that process like? Spill the beans. So raising money is not fun, um, but it's it's a really exciting um, position to be in, especially as uh, like a female founded company right now. Like less than two percent of startups are women led, which is really crazy. That are funded are women led. Yeah. So obviously, with a lot of the movements that are going on now, that number is rising. But you know, like I said, it's really exciting to be in this position, and it's hard. Like the reason why so many companies don't get funded is. I mean, it starts with market opportunity. So mm -hmm. obviously, if we were just the type of, um, like, if we were just a platform that connected brands and influencers, let's just say, and there was some data around it, an investor might say to us, that's a really great opportunity. It solves a need as brands and um, influencers need to collaborate. But that market opportunity might only reach, let's say, $30 million. 
Like really with venture capitalists, they're looking for the next billion dollar idea. Mm -hmm. So you have to have an opportunity where like for us, the apparel industry, it's a $700 billion industry. And because we're a marketplace and we work with all different types of brands, we can tap into that. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is market opportunity, which we check that box. And then the second thing is you need some like investors don't want to invest in companies where they can give you money to make money. Like you have to prove that you can create some type of viral attraction before you go to them. And for us, it was the agency component. When Caitlin and I started, we did our first getaway in Park City. Were you there, Nicole? No. No, you weren't. Um, You know, we did our first getaway. We got $5,000 of sponsors from brands, brought 10 girls there. And we just figured out like, oh, wow, we can like have brands pay us Hmm. to go on these trips. Like we were one of the first companies doing the trips for sure. This was three years ago. You know, from there, we started building a network of hundreds of influencers and brands and having them sponsor into every experience or event or getaway we did. So when I went to my investors, I said, here's a $700 billion market opportunity. Here's a network of hundreds of influencers and brands that we have access to that we can tap into. We now need to raise our first pre-seed round was a million dollars. We need to raise a million dollars to be able to take that network and funnel it into a marketplace. Mm -hmm. And the third component is team. So they said, okay, that you have market opportunity, you have a great concept, you have a great network, do you have the right team to execute? And Caitlin really solved the strategic component. She's really, really valuable in terms of bringing new influencers and brands on. I'm really the day-to-day operator and, you know, the management marketing component. And then we brought on a third co-founder, Allison, who's our head of product. And she has a ton of experience in the just development world. She built a huge tech product for her last company. So she kind of came on as the third missing piece to help build the platform. So you have all these pieces, but like, how do you get in touch with an investor? Like, are you just knocking on doors, cold calling, emailing? Like, what is that process like? It's really challenging. Like when I moved to LA, I didn't know anyone except mm-hmm. Caitlin. I was lucky. My ex-boyfriend had raised venture capital for his startup. And I mean, he, he helped, I just from watching him, from dating him for a couple of years, like I understood the process of, it, it didn't help me in terms of the network, but it helped me in understanding, like you reach out to a hundred people, 98 are going to tell you no, you, mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe you reach out to a hundred, 90 say no, you get 10 meetings and maybe one will say yes. And you have to get over the fact or the fear of rejection because you get rejected by everyone, it seems like, and feels like. So you have that tenacity and like, you're not scared of that uh, sense of failure. You just have to find one or two good connections in your network. And once you get the first meeting, even if it's not a fit, they'll usually connect you to someone else who it might be. And it's just like nonstop work. You're reaching out to anyone and anyone, anyone and everyone you can think Mm -hmm. of. I probably, you know, emailed 400 different investors when I Mm -hmm. first moved here. And I was lucky. I I met Crosscut Ventures. They were one of the first VCs I met. And my lead just understood our vision and the market opportunity. And, you know, he really challenged me and said, I think Los Angeles needs a startup like this. You need to go validate it with a San Francisco VC. And we want you to get someone involved in New York. So then, you know, I had to go find 200 San Francisco VCs to pitch. And I got one of them. And then we ended up getting Chris Birch on who, you know, Caitlin ended up meeting in Suma and he said, he'll come on as a super angel. So it wasn't like you meet one person. I think it's a great idea. There's like a lot of validation that's required and a lot of research. It took us eight months to close that first round. And what is that process like? 
you come in, you pitch, you have a pitch deck, they're asking you questions, they're running through your books, mm-hmm. like the whole gamut. Yeah. So you come in with a pitch deck, you pitch the idea, and then a lot of it's just about when you're at a stage like us, like our VCs only fund one pre-seed company because we weren't even at a seed stage. Like we were a, a company. What does with that a mean? I feel like people don't. Yeah. So when you're raising money, you can raise angel investment money. So an angel is someone... For instance, like Sophia Maruso from Nasty Gal, she'd be an angel. She's someone with a lot of strategic experience and expertise. She, you know, she has money that she can invest in companies she believes in. And that's kind of where like the term strategic angel comes. Someone who's been successful, who has money they want to invest in new Mm -hmm. startups. Uh, Venture capitalists, like I said, is really only huge ideas that can reach massive scale. And they, they specialize in different areas. Some invest in consumer, some invest in companies that are B2B, some like AI, some like gaming. It really just depends on like what their specialty is. And then with venture capitalists, there's different stages. So a seed round is really, you've, you have some, you have a concept and you've proven something mm-hmm. and they're going to fund you to prove the next thesis point. And then when you go to your next round, which is your A round, you have to have a certain number of metrics. It's usually around 6 million in revenue to get there. And it goes up from there. So you can raise a B round, you raise a C round. And usually in your A, B, C, you start bringing in private equity money too, similar to Mm -hmm. like what Revolve did. And I think that it's hard as a pre-seed company. Like we were considered pre-seed because we had an idea. Like I came in with a PowerPoint and an agency model and said, I want, we're not necessarily at the pre-seed level because we haven't proven anything with a marketplace because I don't have a product but I want to raise money to build the product. And if I can get the product and prove some traction, then from there I can get seed funding and we can use those metrics to really scale up a marketplace. So how do you get that trust? It's all team. Like yeah. it's all people. Yeah. Like what they what, what an investor invests in at that stage is you. Mm-hmm. And like, they'll tell you that. Like mm-hmm. I sat with the four partners at Crosscut and they said, you know, this million dollar check is because we trust you. Like we wow. believe that you'll do this. It's crazy. But yeah, like, I mean, you really, there's nothing else and you don't have metrics other than that, yeah. you know? And they do, they vet people. Like I had some experience obviously with Boutique and bringing in Allison helped bring us some credibility, which is great. It's a very challenging process, but it certainly makes you strong in terms of once you can get through fundraising and all of that rejection and all like you take that those experiences and you you, you do find the positives in it too because mm-hmm. you get a lot of good feedback as well mm-hmm. like what you are doing right and what you could do better and it's some of the smartest people in the world who are telling yeah. you this so if you take that feedback and you turn it into something positive it's really helpful so crosscut just writes you this million dollar check they did it they let it uh and then Upside Partners came in and Chris Birch. Okay. And okay. then... I mean, obviously that sounds like a lot of money, but that's not mm-hmm. so much for to run a company, to build out tech. How quick did that money yeah. go? <laughs> so it was supposed to last uh, 12 to 18 months. And we were supposed to launch our marketplace in November. So what is it now? July. So eight months later. Okay. So most startups will tell you with tech, it's never perfect. There's always delays. It always costs more money than you expect. Um, for us, we ran into that exactly on a very intense level of that. Um, we just, we pretty much didn't see eye to eye with our developers and we got handed over a product that was 50% complete mm, in okay. December. So I had to go out and find a new development team to build the marketplace and um, essentially salvage what we had and just make it usable so that I can get the data I needed to go out and raise again. Obviously, it took another two months to put a team together, another four months to get the product to where it was so that we could launch it into beta, which we, we launched last month, which is great. Yay, um, thank yeah. you. 
it's like feels good to finally have launched it. So is that three years from like two. conception to now or two? So a year, we launched in November, 2015 and okay. we raised in November, 2016. Okay. We got to a point where we were about to run out of cash. Um, like I knew that early on when we, when I realized we were going to be so late. So we ramped up the agency model and we started working with big clients like PacSun and, and Forever 21 and some small clients too, like, you know, local fashion swim brands. Um, but it was really like the L'Oreal's Tresemme's, Paxons of the world that helped mm-hmm. get us on our feet. And we did big influencer getaways. We did experiences like at Coachella mm-hmm. and um, Sundance. And, you know, we brought in one and a half million dollars of revenue last year. Um, and that really helped us survive for sure. But that wasn't like your end goal. That was kind of no. what you came up with to keep the lights on, right? Literally. Yeah. Like I had no intentions of continuing to run an agency at that scale. Like the goal was always to continue to run the agency for, to work with brands that align with the marketplace goal. Like our, our marketplace isn't a place for L'Oreal or Tresemme or, or any of those big level brands. But it's kind of like you get into survival mode and I knew we, we had the network and we had the credibility. So... This is it's so interesting because like we have worked with you and Foray for years mm-hmm. and we've known, we'd known that something was coming, like the marketplace that just launched. And I, f- I feel like people would ask me like, what is Foray? Like, can you explain it? And I kind of knew a little bit about where you were trying to go with it, but then they're like, but why the trips? So now it's really interesting to see yeah, it come. Like, yeah. I didn't realize that that was just kind of like, we're improvising a little bit, right? Yeah. To yeah. stay Survive. afloat. It's really, really smart. I mean, and we'll pitch stories differently, right? Yeah. It's like all about how you present <laughs> something, kind of fake it till you make it type of thing. So it was just like, you made, we made it up as we went. And then we mm-hmm. actually saw potential in the agency model. I actually have someone who does run the agency now. She'll take on big clients and big deals. We do seating programs. We rep like three girls. It's not a big business, but like, it's just something to keep that side going just so we can. Some of the big deals that do come in, it's, mm-hmm. it's worth it. But for the most part, yeah, it's hard. Like when you're a small team, you need focus. So you can't be running an agency and a marketplace with nine people. It's just impossible. No. Yeah. I think that's a good tidbit of advice is like having a focus. And I think as an owner of a company, like I struggle with that too. Mm -hmm. It's like you want a piece of every little thing that can drive Mm -hmm. revenue. But if you do like a few things really good and put Mm -hmm. your 110 into those things, it's the success is so much Well, and now all your competitors are right in front of your face on mm-hmm. Instagram, right? You can watch what they're doing. So it's like, oh, they launched this. Mm-hmm. Should we do that? Like, mm-hmm. should we try yeah. this out? So it's, it is definitely something to, it's very impressive that you've stayed focused and that yeah. you, this is finally launched, launched and yeah. you guys are able to now fully go into that. Going back to one thing that you said that I think is actually good feedback though. Um, there's something I call a 70-20-10 rule. Like for any company, it doesn't matter if you're venture backed, if you're not, but if you're running a business, it's important. 70% of your focus should be on your core business. Mm-hmm. 20% should be on things that could be potential opportunities, but that relate to your core business in a way. Mm-hmm. And 10% can be towards kind of out there ideas. I learned that at the first round summit, which is like the summit in San Francisco, Instagram product leads and cool. um, had a CEO of Stitch Fix. Like it's a lot of great speakers they do every year. Yeah. And they essentially do it. It's really interesting. They do a two day seminar for founders that are in the mm. first round network and they just have all these top CEOs and head of products and all these people come through and they teach you advice of how they got to where they were. Okay. So now you started Foray with Caitlin, you're hitting the ground running. What's the timeline like from 2015 to now? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we launched in November, 2015 and the goal was always from day one to launch a shop by influencer marketplace. And I knew enough about 
the world of fundraising that we couldn't just go and say, hey, we're Caitlin and Tiana. We have a really good idea. Fund us. So really what I told her is I think it'd be really smart to build a brand and a network that people trust. And if we can bring that to investors with a great idea and a good team, I think we can get back because there's huge market opportunity. And she agreed. It's actually like really interesting. Like we were one of the the first companies to launch like the first influencer experience. And, you know, we had two brands, I think total, they funded us like $5,000, sponsored it. And we brought 10 girls there. And saw like immediate responses from brands. Like, when are you going on the next one? And, huh. and influencers, like they, yeah. like we, we it see was a now. totally new idea. Totally new idea. And some of the girls from that first trip are best friends today. And they didn't know each other before that trip. And a lot of that was Caitlin saying, I, I know this girl, I know this girl, I know this girl. I think they'd like each other. Yeah. And that was always like our, our core, like concept of foray, like really great quality influencers, great quality brands. And if we can keep kind of keep above the noise, we can make it, make a splash in this industry. And then honestly, like Coachella is what put us on the map and blew us up. Like Caitlin and I, will, she'll tell you this story. Like we self-funded Coachella. Like we put almost all the money we had into a deposit on a massive house oh and said, God, I remember this so hopefully best. brands will sponsor us because if not, we're losing all our money and we're definitely not going to fundraise. <laughs> so we took her, we took a Caitlin more than me. Like she, you know, she wow. like was like, this is like kind of my savings. So hopefully for people who works. don't know, like houses at Coachella are hundreds and thousands. Of oh dollars. yeah. And she, rent. well, and she, Caitlin calls me and she's like, this is the house we need. And it was like 90 grand for three days. And I was like, are you crazy? <laughs> $4,000 in the bank. What do you mean? You want to throw a $200,000 experience? And she was like, this is what we need to do to make, like, to put, to be put on the map. And she, I mean, she was absolutely right. But like at the time I thought she was crazy. Yeah. And I was like, do you want to back it? And she was like, I'll, I'll put the deposit down, but like we need to raise the money. So we're literally out there going to the most random brands in the world. Arizona iced tea, muscle milk. Um, not, these are all, I'm not saying anything bad about these brands, but in terms of like relevance to the 4A brand, it yeah. was literally like, yeah. Who wants to work with Foray and give us money? Like, we're going to throw yeah. this big event. And do you some- remember? I have a memory of Muscle Milk at that party, actually. <laughs> do you remember this? Yeah. Um, Jessica Simpson's dad. Jessica Simpson's dad was, like, shooting it all around the party. He's doing, <laughs> like, flat lays of <laughs> the Muscle Milk. No, stop. <laughs> yeah. What's I, his name? I remember yeah. just being, like, Joe Simpson. just pure gold. Like, he was I didn't even know Joe so- Simpson was at that party. Oh, he was there. That's, yeah. That's a highlight of the <laughs> I totally wish I knew that. Um, Okay, so back to this. So, yeah. So, anyways, we end up getting this massive, amazing house. And we invited great girls. Like, we were early Mm -hmm. on it. And Caitlin, I mean, she has great friends. She surrounds herself with good people. And we got, like, an amazing group of girls there. And Brody has been extremely supportive since day one. Like, he always was like, I don't really know if this is going to work or what it is in the beginning. This was, like, four months in. But he was very open to, like, working with our brands and helping us out and posting on his Instagram and, like, helping give credibility. Which and this is sweet. Brody Jenner. Yes. Kaylin's husband. Crazy. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. It ended up being a huge success. We literally, I, I forget the number. We had to make, like, $250,000 or something ridiculous at that point. I was like, there's no way we're ever going to hit it. And we did. I remember we closed our last deal eight hours before Coachella. Oh, and. My. I mean, it was to a point where I was just like, we're not going to make it. Like, we're going to shut the company down. And, like, a huge deal ended up coming in last minute. And we made it work. And then from there, we made a Coachella recap deck. And we started pitching brands. And we got Mm -hmm. so much work. And Mm -hmm. you remember, like, this is 2016. Like, influencers were just starting to get hot. Brands weren't 
so careful with their money. Like, you know, there wasn't really this whole thing on like ROI and cost per thousand impressions and how this whole industry works now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that really put us on the map. We, I mean, we ended up booking a couple deals a month from there, doing a bunch of trips. And by the time we went to Crosscut in May, we had like a very full network of hundreds of brands and influencers we were working with. And um, May as in like a month later. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, we started our conversations with them in May, but we didn't mm-hmm. get serious until August. We closed in November. Okay. So I could kind of, I went to them with the Coachella recap deck yeah. and we did a lot that summer, which yeah. really helped a lot because we were bringing in good revenue at that point too. And yeah, I think that's kind of when we raised, we, we closed, Crosscut said, get me in a San Francisco VC, a New York uh, VC or Super Angel. And we, you know, we got those three on board. We closed a million dollars in November and we started building in December. And from there, it was really interesting. Like we had a eight month, I believe it was an eight month timeline to get to beta and uh, about a year until we launched to consumers. And about six months in, we realized the development team wasn't a fit. It's hard. Like when you're six months into building, like the idea of scrapping and rebuilding is really hard. Mm-hmm. So we knew we were going to be late. I knew we were going to run out of money in six months. So I said, what if we just ramp up the agency side and like start doing more things like not just for a getaways, like let's do big posting deals. Let's do seating programs. Um, let's do more experiences than just Coachella. So we were able to really ramp that business up to get to a point of survival. And it actually did help us because it continued to build our brand. I think it, it in some ways hurt us because people didn't really know what we were, mm-hmm. but it also like kept us relevant. So at the same time, it was good. And ended up getting the project, handed over 50% complete, found a VP of engineering to bring on a lead uh, development team in Russia that I now still work with. Or We have a team of five developers in Russia we work with every day. And they got our project to beta. We launched beta uh, in April in, in line with, we launched a, a festival capsule of Flynn Sky. So we launched the beta of a marketplace in April for one month just to test if it worked. And we got a good amount of sales through it. So we kind of said, okay, we'll bring this back when we're ready. We then launched our portal. And just so I don't think everyone probably knows what it is. So (laughs) the new platform is it's a new marketplace that powers individual influencer storefronts. But what's really interesting about it is we created a a portal on the back end that connects brands and influencers. So like right now we have 35 brands on there and what they do is they can sync their catalogs of inventory from their Shopify store or whatever store they're using, or they can make specific collections of just products that they want um, to sell on for and gift to influencers. So let's use Caitlin as an example. Caitlin logs onto our backend uh, portal and she can request any product on the site, add it to her cart. And when she's actually hitting add to cart, instead of that scene add to cart, it says request collaboration. A request product. So Caitlin can add, you know, four dresses, two pairs of sunglasses, everything. She's just requesting that product, not actually buying it. She checks out as if she was a shopper. And what that does is it sends a ping to all these brands saying, Caitlin Carter just requested this dress. Caitlin Carter just requested these sunglasses. And the brands have 72 hours to accept or reject that collaboration. If they accept it, they see the influencer's address right away, the size, everything that they need, ship the product to her. And then the influencer has two weeks to create content wearing that product. And they have to do a swipe of Instagram story promoting their storefront but they get 20% of everything that sells from the storefront. So we're actually not a traditional affiliate program because we take much higher cuts from the brands. But the reason we can do this is because brands are not only getting new sales and customers, they're also getting new influencer relationships and content that they have usage rights to reuse. So it's a half e-com play, half content marketing play for brands. One of the questions we ask our guests every week is what's your viral moment? So this would be like, what's your, oh man, I made it. This is it. This is amazing. 
like raising money was a big viral moment. And it was like, shh, like shit. We like are part of these 2% of women that are like actually venture back companies. And no matter what happens from here, I've like kind of joined this club where I've met some of the smartest people in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm learning every day. I'm challenging myself every day. So I think personally, that was like kind of that moment where like everything you've been doing for the past four years in the startup community has paid off. But from a success for foray, like I think Coachella, we proved a lot that first Coachella, like what hard work and determination can do. But I mean, from a from an overall company standpoint, we haven't reached that level of success it, to actually say like, OK, we made it. Like, I think there's more we need to see. Because to me, our success is dependent on the marketplace and we're one month in. The goals that I have are, can we actually make shopping for the modern woman easier? Like my dream and vision for Foray is that there's, you know, thousands of influencers on the site, not just big influencers, like girls with 10,000 followers, let's say, girls of like different shapes, different sizes, different skin colors. We can eventually personalize a feed so that you're following girls that like not only inspire you, but like you might look like, you might want to dress like. And it's not just the beachy you know, beachy brands that we work with now, it's brands from all over, like Mm -hmm. New York City chic brands. It's brands for girls that live in the South. It's Mm -hmm. brands for girls who live in LA. So there's so much we have to do from a technology building standpoint and reaching mass audiences of consumers Mm -hmm. and improving on that, that, you know, being one month into it, it's hard Mm -hmm. to say we've been able to reach that moment. On the flip side, what's your unfollow me moment? So like, what (laughs) is a moment where you're basically just like, oh shit, that Uh, happened. I did that. Or yeah, I think your low point, you know, my lowest point was when I realized we weren't going to get a product. And I think, I mean, cause it's hard. It wasn't my, my job to be running the tech, let's say, but like when you're running a company, it's your job to manage every single person, mm-hmm. including your outsource team. And you take responsibility for everyone. Like, yeah, it's hard to be a good leader if you don't think like that. So regardless of what our development team told us or who was running product or who was doing what, like at the end of the day, it's like, we didn't get a product done. We took a million dollars of money and we didn't, we didn't get there. And I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know if we're going to have enough money. I don't know if we're going to let all these people down. And it's like kind of that feeling where it's like it'd be easier sometimes to just like shut your door and be like, I know this industry really well. I can go make a lot of money doing it for someone else or and like not have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And then like you kind of pump yourself back up and you think about the opportunity and like it's really rewarding when you figure out a solution of how to get around it, which is what we do at the agency, which Mm -hmm. is great. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was a tough couple of weeks, like kind of stayed in my room and didn't leave. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. It was. It was really depressing. <laughs> Ups and downs of yeah. owning a company. Yeah. Let's go into our follower questions. The first one is, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs? So there's a few things. I mean, I think the advice I'd give to an entrepreneur is, you know, once you have a good idea, just surround yourself with the best people you can as early on as you can, because no matter how much you think you know, or what you've done before, it's really hard. And it's really lonely when you're starting a company. And there's amazing people out there that want to help you. And, you know, for me, like, that's something I did right, really early on, I surrounded myself with great people, I got great advisors, I got great mentors. And it doesn't feel that lonely when you build a really supportive network like that. And I think, just being extremely, extremely fearless. Like you can't get down from rejection. Like if you believe in your idea enough and you, like I said, surround yourself with the right people, the right team, the right investors, it's enough. Like you, you can't 
listen to all of the noise around you and get brought down by that. Mm -hmm. And then to a female in particular, I mean, I think it's a great time to be a female entrepreneur right now with all of the movements that are happening and, you know, all of the, you know, the different women who are stepping up and kind of like making their voice known and heard. Like I have never been to so many female events at this point or, you know, female driven dinners um, and just the support. Like it's, it's really like its own community in terms of women helping other women. And it's really exciting and take advantage of that because there's everyone, everyone who's in this wants to help each other. And we kind of all go through the same things, but it's a really nice community to be in when you take advantage of it. What's next for you, Tiana? I mean, obviously we're going to be like world domination marketplace. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So next is, so we're raising another round right now. We're about to go and raise a, a new, we're calling it a series seed round. Um, so looking to do that in the next six months, which is really exciting. And that will help us grow our platform a lot bigger. We'll expand our team. We'll probably triple the size of our team, which is great. Wow. Do you have to raise a lot more money? Yeah, we're raising $4 million. So it's wow. a lot more than it was initially. Um, but it's kind of what we've been able to do with the initial data we have is prove that people want to shop this way. Influencers love it. Like we get emails every day from influencers saying, this is the new way I want to fill my closet. You Thanks for making my life so easy. Same thing with brands. Like we're really automating the process. Some brands are only using for right now for their gifting efforts, which is great. And I think that, you know, being able to take all this feedback, raise the money we need to raise and like learn how to scale that to the next level. Something we were talking about before, really personalizing the experience for shoppers um, and just getting mass influencers at scale onto this. I think, yeah, that's kind of our roadmap or plan for the next 12 months. What's it like working with influencers? Like, what's it really like? So I think that influencers get a bad rap and people don't realize how much work they put into their day-to-day jobs. Like, I consider every influencer I work with an entrepreneur as well. You know, they're working just as many hours in a day. They're doing different things, but it's still they're building their own personal brands I mean, I think it's hard. Like they're in an industry where they're given everything. And some people might feel like when you get accustomed to a certain way of life that they might assume a certain thing about an influencer, but some of them are, most of them are extremely grateful and, you know, love what they're doing and work really hard to get there. And of course there's diva moments with people like any industry, like any type of group of people, but um, yeah, I respect all the girls we work with a lot. And I mean, they make what we do possible. So well, thanks so much for coming. This is amazing. Yeah. So fun to hear where you're at and where things are going. And I know. We're excited. excited for you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Where can people follow you? So we're no 4A Collective anymore. Just at 4A or you can visit us at shop4a.com. Okay, that was amazing. Thank you so much, Tiana, for coming on. She is such a great friend to both of us. And um, I know I learned so much. I didn't even know she knew that much. So (laughs) that was very impressive. Yeah, I'm very impressed too. Like tons of information on raising money and speaking with VCs. So hopefully you guys learned a little bit there. All right, so we're doing another giveaway. And kind of similar to last week, share a photo of you listening to the follow me podcast and you're entered to win super simple we're gonna do on your stories right yeah story instagram twitter whatever platform you're using anywhere yeah okay youtube (laughs) are we checking youtube you know we could be so good luck to you guys and we hope you have a great weekend yeah happy friday all right see you friday 
Happy Friday. Bye, guys. Bye.